I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. In a previous video I made about Ismailism and where I discussed the problem of representation, I mentioned a few notable individuals from within that tradition. And today I would like to take a moment to dive deeper into one of those individuals. And as the title obviously suggests, I am talking about the 11th century poet, um, traveler and missionary philosopher Nasir Khusro. Throughout Ismaili history, he's perhaps the most well-known representative, living at a time when the Fatimid dynasty was ruling from Egypt, and thus when the Ismailis were arguably at the height of their power. Khusro is especially interesting because he can serve as a sort of miniature example of the general ideas and philosophies of the Ismailis, um, even if, of course, that tradition does have a lot of inner diversity. Uh, but in the general sense, Ismailism is a what's well, a branch of Islam, and specifically of the Shia variety. And like other Shias, they believe that the descendants of the Prophet Muhammad are his rightful spiritual successors, and those have the right to interpret his teachings, known as Imams. Um, the Ismailis in particular split off from the other major group of Shias, known as the Ithna Ashari, or Twelver Shias, over a conflict of succession uh, after the death of the fifth Imam, Jafar al-Sadiq. The Ismailis later rose to political power with the advent of the Fatimid dynasty in the 10th century, which ruled from Cairo in Egypt, which is a city that they actually founded and named. Um, and in which the caliphs of this empire, this dynasty, was also the imams, the, the descendants of the prophets, and thus the spiritual authority for the entire Ismaili community. At around this time, there also appeared a number of notable philosophers and theologians in this tradition that started to develop what would become known as a very characteristic Ismaili philosophy and theology. 
These notable philosophers include names like Hamid ad-Din Kirmani, Abu Yaqub al-Sijistani, and of course Nasir Khusro himself. Nasir Khusro was likely born in 1004 AD in Khurasan, and in a city in what is today Tajikistan. Um, and he seems to have been born into a rather comfortable environment, and he was rather well off for most of his life. He was, or he became, very highly educated in a number of fields, not just the traditional religious sciences like Quran and Hadith, but also natural sciences, astronomy, mathematics, um, logic, uh, and especially the Greek philosophers. And he also studied, of course, the Muslim philosophers like uh, Al-Kindi, Al-Farabi, and his near-contemporary Ibn Sina. He was very successful in his early career as well. Uh, he actually worked as a scribe and an economic advisor, or an economic scribe, for the Seljuk Sultan in Khorasan. Um, and now it should be remembered that all the information we have about Nasir Khusro's life comes from his own writings, and even those writings are in fragments, and so everything should of course be taken with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, he does boast about how much of a good reputation he had and how successful he was in his career, as one often does. But something happened to good old Nasser at the age of 42 when he suddenly had a spiritual uh, crisis, um, as seems to be pretty common at around this time. Um, but it seems that up until this point in his life, he had lived a pretty luxurious and excessive life, uh, and he wasn't exactly among God's best children, according to his culture's standards. In fact, he writes that during periods of his life, he used to be constantly drunk on wine. But at 42, something happened. As he describes in his poetry, when the heavens had measured out 42 years of life to me, my rational soul began to search for wisdom. This realization came through a dream that led Nasir Khusro to change his ways and he started to travel around the greater Middle East looking for wisdom and an answer to his spiritual longings. During these travels, he, among other things, did the Hajj or pilgrimage to Mecca several times and visited many other uh, sort of significant parts of the Muslim world at the time. But it was when he arrived in Egypt, in Cairo, that his prayers were finally answered, because here he came into contact with the Fatimids. And after a stay of around three years, he had wholeheartedly accepted Ismailism as his creed. During his stay in Egypt, he became even more educated within fields like philosophy, uh, natural science, and theology, and especially in the specific doctrines of the Ismaili faith, uh, to the point that he was appointed the title of Dai, which means something like a, a missionary for the faith. Um, and, and after this, he was also then, after three years, sent back to his home region in Persia to be what's known as a hujat, which is like a chief missionary for that entire region. And he seems to have been rather successful at spreading the Ismaili faith as well, perhaps a bit too successful, because after a couple of years, he became severely under uh, the attack of a lot of these Sunni authorities who would consider him a heretic, basically, to the point that he had to flee and go into hiding in a town called Badakhshan, in which also he later he died, somewhere between the year 1077 to 1088. We don't actually know for sure. And Nasir Khusro is still remembered and revered today, and not just within Ismailism. A lot of his works are read and studied to this day. For example, he wrote uh, an account of his travels around the world, a sort of travel bi biography uh, called the Safarnama, 
which is still read in Iran today and is considered one of the most authoritative sources on medieval uh, Muslim culture. Um, he was also a very celebrated poet, probably one of the most famous and loved poet in the entire Persian language. But lastly, he was, after all, a philosopher, theologian, and preacher of the Ismaili doctrine. Um, the works of philosophical prose and theological work that he wrote aren't perhaps as widely read as his other works, but they are of special interest to us today. Among these works of philosophical prose are titles like Waj Adin, The Face of Religion, uh, The Zad and Musafirin, the, uh, the Traveler's Provision, and lastly, a book called the Jami al-Hikmatayn. Jami al-Hikmatayn literally translates to something like the union of the two wisdoms, um, a, a translation of which has recently been published in, in association with the Institute of Ismaili Studies. And in this tra translation by Eric Ormsby, uh, it is rather translated as two wisdoms reconciled and under the main heading of between reason and revelation in order to get sort of attempt to get closer to the original purpose and meaning of that title. And I recently read this translation and so you should keep in mind that all of the information I talk about here is based on that translation and that book. It is thought that the Jami al-Hikmatayn is the last work written by, by Nasir Khusro, the last major work, uh, somewhere around the year 1070. And thus it represents for a lot of people the culmination or the pinnacle of his philosophical thought. The structure of the book is as a series of commentaries on a poem by a partly unidentified individual named Ahmed ibn Hassan al-Jurjani, a poem which includes many questions ranging from philosophical and scientific questions on the nature of the world to questions of creation, revelation, language, prophecy, and even some really strange questions like one where he asks why male babies turn their faces upward when they're born while female babies turn their face downward, or why people in Tibet can't get fevers, and, and literally the question if the chicken or the egg came first. Uh, I'm not kidding, that is actually a question addressed in this book. Uh, and so Nasir Khusro's commentary sort of serves as answers to these questions asked by the poet. The main point of the work, as stated by Khusro himself, and as the title suggests, is to reconcile or argue for a harmonious synthesis of philosophical knowledge, and therefore things like natural science, with religion and revelation of the Islamic faith. Nasir Khusro is clearly a big fan of knowledge and uh, science, and considers this book as a blessing to the, let's say, less informed people. In his own words, if it is justice to condone an injury against a person who has been wronged, then it is even greater justice to convey knowledge to the ignorant, for ignorance is manifest injury. If it is in our power to give some portion of what we possess of this to the needy, that is an act of beneficence. Khusro makes it clear in the book, and like many of his previous Muslim philosophers had, that scientific and philosophical knowledge can only benefit the Muslims, and is complementary to the religious uh, knowledge, uh, as opposed to being harmful to it, as many of his contemporaries would sometimes claim if they were hostile to philosophy. In fact, early on he presents a scathing critique of what he calls the literal-minded scholars or jurists who would criticize any sort of scientific inquiry. 
Today, the self-styled jurists of the religion of Islam say, if someone states the day becomes apparent with the rising of the sun, or I know which star is moving and which is fixed, for example, he is considered a kafir or unbeliever. They have chosen ignorance over knowledge and persist in claiming that the how and the why of creation are not our business. Instead, Khusrow argues that human curiosity as to the how and why of things are part of our divinely given nature and what sets us apart from the rest of creation. By means of demonstrative intellectual analogy, we can state that the creation of knowable things as well as the placement within man of his soul in quest of knowledge, along with that soul's urgent zeal and craving to keep searching out the how of things, is such that God in the process of creation says to every soul, ask and consider why it is as it is, and do not imagine that this creation is in vain. Thus, he has composed this work in order to argue for the value of scientific knowledge alongside religion, to be a beacon of light among the darkness of the ignorant. After this short mission statement, he then goes on to start answering the questions of the poem and the book thus goes through almost any imaginable subject. In the very first chapter, called On the Proof of the Creator's Existence, with a discussion of his oneness in several discourses, he comes in hot right away with a discussion on theology and the very nature of God. Uh, he lists different schools of theological thought within Islam and sort of ranks them according to which is the best and the worst out of them. The first group he mentions he simply calls the prattling literalists, or the Hashwian, uh, and he describes them as the people who read the Qur'an literally, uh, thus describing anthropomorphic qualities to God. So, for example, if the Qur'an states that God has a hand or a face, they claim that he indeed has a hand and a face, much like a creature does. Uh, and this is the height of ignorance to Khusro, and he basically calls them out as stupid and ignorant. Uh, and irrational. It is probable that this school that he's talking about refers to what we sometimes call the traditionalists and the school of people like Ahmed ibn Hanbal, for example. He then discusses two other groups, the Karamites, a school which we know very little of today, and the Mu'tazila, one of the most famous early schools of theology. And he critiques both of their views on the attributes of God and calls them basically polytheists. Uh, they both affirm the existence of certain attributes in God, like knowledge, life, and power, but differed on how it should be understood. The Karamites argue that the attributes are gods, but are nothing like the attributes of creatures of the world, uh, whilst the Mu'tazila argued that these qualities don't exist as attributes at all, but as parts of God's very essence. So in, in, in their opinion, these attributes uh, isn't something that God has, but something that he simply is in his very essence. Now, Nasir Khusrow sort of likes the Mu'tazila. He states that, for our own part, we say that there is no approach stronger than theirs among the various schools of Islam on the subject of Tawheed. But even so, he still isn't entirely satisfied with this, because even a single essence that has certain attributes as part of itself implies a multiplicity, and that thus also compromises the absolute oneness of God. The Ismailis and Nasir Khusrow apply instead an extremely negative theology, where nothing at all can be said about God, partly inspired by Neoplatonism, where even calling him things like powerful or living or knowledgeable 
uh, is ascribing creaturely qualities to him. Khosro and the Ismailis apply a kind of double negative argument in which they state that, for example, God isn't powerful, but neither is he not powerful, because even not powerful is a category that applies to created things and thus cannot be true for God. God is completely and utterly unknowable, unlike anything in the world or anything we can possibly conceive or imagine. Quote, now we have shown clearly on what grounds it is wrong to describe God by such attributes as ignorance and powerlessness, uh, not because they are unseemly, but because they are attributes of creatures, as well as that it is wrong to ascribe the opposites of such attributes, such as knowledge and power to him, glory be to him he is exalted, on the grounds that these two are creaturely qualities. There are other very clear examples of his Ismaili leanings throughout the book. He applies a very esoteric reading or interpretation, tawil, of a lot of Quranic sections, for example, like in the story of Noah and the Ark, uh, that he interprets in, as a kind of metaphor, uh, rather. Quote, Noah's Ark is not a thing of wood, but the prophet's household. Noah's flood is not of water, but instead of ignorance and waywardness. Other stories, such as that of God destroying nations of people for sinning, are not to be read literally either, since everyone, including the prophet, dies, and thus death can't be the actual punishment that God wishes upon these people. Several other examples show how he takes Quranic ideas or concepts and interprets them in allegorical ways and also places them within a Neoplatonic philosophical framework. If it is asked what is paradise, we reply that it is a world of spirits and a mine of delights. And if it is asked what is hell, we say that it is a mine of agonies and torments. If it is asked what the gathering is, that is the gathering of resurrected souls in front of God on the Day of Judgment, <clears throat> we reply that it is the assembly of particular souls in the presence of the universal soul. Thus he seemingly clearly denies any form of physical bodily resurrection and also interprets the paradise and hell of the afterlife as sort of spiritual states of the soul rather than physical places. He further speaks about concepts like the universal intellect, prime matter, and other terms that showcase the huge influence that Neoplatonism has on Ismaili theology. As explained in my previous video, Husro talks about revelation through the language of Neoplatonic metaphysics as well, and identifies God's book, that is the Quran, as the very substance of the universal intellect itself, and that the Prophet Muhammad is a mediator between the subtle world and the dense world, through his direct access to the world of the intellect, enabling him to read God's inscription directly, and then sort of convey that information to the people. Even though the book celebrates philosophical knowledge and what we would call science today, um, it was after all written in the 11th century and so it isn't without its problems by today's standards. A lot of the science in the book is violently inaccurate and old-fashioned and, and there's also certain discussions, moral aspects that one might find uh, problematic in, in certain ways. But the same parts of the book are also kind of funny in a way. Uh, one of my favorite sections from the entire book is when the poet asks a question, uh, something like, how come the sun's rays can't penetrate the moon's surface during an eclipse, um, since the moon's surface is clear as glass? To which Nasir Khusro basically says, because the moon's surface isn't clear as glass. <laughs> Khusro kind of has this very self-assured and critical tone in a lot of cases, 
which makes for some very comical uh, sections, especially when the information he is so assured of is wrong too. If this, in this case, it wasn't, but uh, in other sections, uh, that is sometimes the case. In general, this book is fascinating to read, and the present translation is good as far as I can tell. Obviously, I don't know Persian, but uh, it seems to be a good translation and it's easy to read, granted that you have some basic knowledge of medieval philosophy and, I guess, Islamic theology. It presents a strong argument for the reconciliation of science and religious learning, a point that seems highly relevant today, and further serves as an interesting artifact and a window into medieval Muslim philosophy and the doctrines of the Ismailis in particular. If you are interested in the subject, I highly recommend you pick this book up and, and give it a read. Uh, Nasir Khusro is a very interesting figure. He's a very significant figure historically, uh, both to the Islamic world and to our world heritage. Um, but what do you think of him? Do you think any of these ideas are good or are they crazy? Have you even ever heard of Nasir Khusro before? Uh, feel free to leave a comment or continue this discussion in the comments. And I will see you next time. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.